Ole out, Ranić in at Manchester United. What will the former Hoffenheim and Leipzig man do for the Red Devils until this Premier League season ends? Also, three sackings, three new managers in the Premier League. Eddie Howe, Steven Gerrard, Dean Smith all begin their new tenures around the same time. As we always do, we're going to compare and contrast, determine which one of them is in the best position for long-term success. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 9 of the Tactics Room presented by Breaking the Lines. My name is Will Fowler. Thrilled, just absolutely over the moon, could not be happier that you've chosen to spend a few minutes with yours truly, uh, metaphorically, not physically, because we're not together, but you're listening to me via the audio waves, and that is, that's half the battle, and I round up, so that's the full battle. Um, so happy that you've chosen to join me again. This is, uh, you know what, let's get it off the off the, the docket, right off the bat. Let's address the elephant in the room. It's been a while. It's been a while since one of these episodes has uh, has seen the light of day. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, uh, all, all I will say, simply, is uh, that is in the rear view. We're, we're back to, to weekly postings, as we should be, as this podcast, and as you fine listeners deserve. We're back to consistent weekly posting. Um been an unbelievably hectic and busy and crazy few weeks. Uh, not not that that's my my pass, but um, I have not and would never forget about this podcast or any of you fine returning listeners. We're back to posting weekly, and that starts today with episode nine. Two really fascinating topics to go through. Um, if you're new here, first of all, welcome. So happy to have you. As I mentioned, I mean, this is, I am honored. What, what do I say? What do I wear? My goodness. Welcome to the Tactics Room Podcast. So happy to have you. My name is Will Fowler. If you enjoy what you hear in the next 45 minutes, all I have to ask from you is consider subscribing to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Follow me on Twitter at WillFowler5. Follow Breaking the Lines on Twitter at BTLVid. If you like what you hear in the next few minutes, you're going to want to do all three of those things. If you don't like what you hear in the next 45 minutes, consider doing it anyway just because I asked nicely, if you wouldn't mind. That'd be very much appreciated. Even if, you, even if you subscribe and don't listen, even if you follow and don't like any of my tweets, just do me that favor. Go and find us on social media and wherever you get your podcasts from. On the docket for today, as I mentioned, Ralph Ranić taking over at Manchester United after a brief hiatus. Uh, of course, he was the genius that masterminded this, this rise of the Red Bull ladder, Leipzig and Salzburg specifically, but also some of the, the, the lower down clubs, uh, Bragantino, New York Red Bulls. He's in at Manchester United. They've sacked Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. They've brought in only a man whose nickname is literally The Professor. How will that go? Spoiler alert, I think it goes very, very well. Also, further down the uh, the Premier League table, Aston Villa has sacked Dean Smith in favor of Steven Gerrard. Dean Smith has gone to Norwich City, who has sacked Daniel Farka and Newcastle, and their new owners have sacked Steve Bruce, and they've brought in Eddie Howe. We'll talk about all three of them, um, and we'll compare and contrast, and we'll discuss, and hopefully you'll agree. And if you disagree, you'll let me know, but you won't be too harsh. And if you agree, you'll let me know, and, and that'll be the end of it. That'll be the end of it. Let's dive in. We've uh, we've got some discussion on Ralph Ranić to kick things off. So to discuss Ralph Ranić, we need to start by understanding where his beginnings came from, because he really is one of the one of the most fascinating minds in modern day football. But it goes well before what you 
probably know about him, which is his time as the director of football at Leipzig, um, his time as the head coach at Hoffenheim. His, 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 his understanding of the game dates back well prior to that, despite not having an overly illustrious career as a player. He wrote some fantastic pieces on the coach's voice, which if you're not familiar with that platform, please go and check it out. They offer fantastic tactical analysis on coaches. Some of them are written by the coaches themselves. There's some fantastic pieces by Ranić over there describing both his coaching philosophy and his ascension to the top of the sport. And again, when we discuss Ranić, your mind is probably taken right away to his spell with Hoffenheim or his spell with the the Red Bull ladder, specifically Leipzig. But his his tactical revolution begins much prior to that. And this is uh, most of what I'm about to say. I, I you can find in those those coaches' voice pieces. They're really really good reads. Um, you can genuinely call Ranić one of the the fathers of modern German football, one of the most influential figures in the modern history of the sport. He's got this fantastic coaching network, this massive coaching network that involves some of the biggest names in coaching today, Thomas Tuchel at uh, at Chelsea, uh, but also players like Adi Hütter, Jesse Marsh, Marco Rosse, uh, uh, David Wagner, Ralf Hasenhüttl, so many Modern-day managers in the Bundesliga, but also elsewhere, have been influenced directly under the tutelage of, of Ranić, whether that's as an assistant coach or as a player. We also know that he's influenced the, the styles of Jurgen Klopp, who we'll get into a little bit later. Pep Guardiola has taken pieces of Ralf Ranić's tactics. So this is a guy who's left his footprint on almost every single world-class manager in the world right now, along with several really, really high-profile Bundesliga managers, which should come as no surprise. His first big moment in coaching, which he details in his coach's voice piece, was as a head coach at Vitoria Backnang in a match against Dynamo Kiev, led by the great Valery Lovanovsky, one of the most impactful managers in the history of Eastern European football, made Dynamo Kiev a powerhouse, managed the, the Soviet Union national team when it was still around, um, and there's one specific quote that I, I want to mention in that piece because it's really where Ranić gets his style from. He goes, a few minutes in, when the ball had gone out for a throw-in, I had to stop and count their players because something was wrong. Did they have 13 or 14 men on the pitch? And the reason why he thought that was because this system that Dynamo Kiev were employing under Lobanovsky, this unwavering pressing, this high intensity, this don't stop moving, um, that's... It, it caught his eye, it caught Ranić's eye, and that's what he learned a lot from. He sought to emulate it uh, after his time with uh, with Victoria Backnang. He spent time with a number of other clubs. He was in the Stuttgart Academy for a bit, and he earned the nickname The Professor, which he's still called today, uh, after appearing on German television and speaking about tactics, specifically the press. And this was something that was unheard of. This was something that, that in German football specifically, Felix Magath once said, quote, tactics is something for bad players. I mean, that's what we're discussing when we when we talk about at the time German football fans and managers and players acceptance to openly discussing tactics, um, but Renya goes on on German television. He he speaks on end about the 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 press so much so that it really really fascinated people, and he earned that nickname quote the professor. Move move uh, ahead to two thousand six to go over at Hoffenheim where. Uh, they were in the, the German third tier at the time, which um, obviously now they, they've been one of the mainstays in the Bundesliga. And that's thanks to largely Ralf Ranić, who was given essentially a blank slate 
to do what he wanted with this club. And what he wanted was specialization in every aspect of the club. And yes, of course, that goes to the players, that goes to your assistant coaches, but he wanted it everywhere. So aside from implementing his own tactics, which we'll discuss in a bit, aside from implementing his own transfer policy, which we'll discuss in a bit, he also had a hand in hiring specialists in everything, match analysts, psychologists, physios, anybody who was an expert in their field and could help a football club. He went out and and hired them. He created a specialized recruiting policy that, as I said, we'll get into. Um, And within two years, he had Hoffenheim competing in the top flight of German football and everything had his stamp of approval on it. Everything was was an aspect that Ranić had his toe in. In, his, in Hoffenheim's first Bundesliga season under Ranić, and this is where that 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 iconic uh, Jurgen Klopp story comes into play. If you haven't heard it, I'm sure you have. I mean, for the love of God, I feel like this is... If you don't know who Ralph Ranić is, uh, if you didn't know who Ralph Ranić was prior to his hiring at Manchester United, you're looking at this 4-1 victory over Dortmund with Hoffenheim as a World Cup final. That That's how much it's, it's been talked about in terms of Ranić's influence on Jurgen Klopp. But that's what happened. Hoffenheim in their first season in the top flight knocks off Dortmund 4-1, knocks off Jurgen Klopp's Dortmund 4-1. Klopp later lauds that as, quote, that's how we want our side to play, which is lofty praise for a side that had just won promotion. Dortmund, of course, one of the big clubs in the Bundesliga, especially under Jurgen Klopp, who, 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 who had a bit of a rebuild process of his own. But that kind of praise for a first-year club in the Bundesliga, of course, they just won promotion, was lofty, and it was because of, of Ralph Rangnick's mind. Um, after a season with Schalke, he becomes Leipzig's director of football in 2012. And this, this is, is not that Rangnick wasn't a genius before, but this was his greatest work, what he did with the Red Bull ladder. At least I think this was his greatest work, just because it wasn't just on the pitch what he changed about, about these clubs. And it wasn't just, it wasn't just Leipzig. That's where most of the attention will be, but it wasn't just Leipzig. It was the whole Red Bull network. It was RB Salzburg. It was Bragantino. It was it was New York Red Bulls to an extent in MLS. Um, he, he takes over as Leipzig's director of football, where he builds from scratch this Red Bull network. Leipzig and Salzburg, when I mean, they were all the shit. They 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 were like, and he uh, Renier talks about it in his coach's voice piece. They were near or over thirty average squad age. And, and he completely burns that to the ground. He changed all of that. And that's largely thanks to his three C's, which, again, he details. His three C's, capital, concept, and competence. He says all three of them have to work in harmony with one another. You can't succeed in football without having all three things working together. You can have two. You can have one. But if you don't have all three, you won't find consistent success. So what are those three C's? Well, it starts with capital, and that may be in today's football the most important thing to have. Capital, money, investment, a clear spending policy. But money means nothing without a concept, a style of football that's recognizable even on the club's worst day. You create an identity across the entire club, not just the players, not just the coaches, but everybody working at the club, including the, the supporters, the fan base, something that, that people can buy into, a system that people can buy into. And then there's competence, which is, in his words, the prioritization of the best possible coaches and specialized coaches, people who know what they're doing, people who have a clear-cut role and they're an expert in that role so everybody can thrive and so there is no weak link. 
Those three things must work together according to Ralph Rangnick, uh, capital, concept, competence. And you see all of those things working at Red Bull Leipzig, who obviously the, the investment, the, the capital part, <clears throat> we know about. It's obviously very controversial. But the objective truth is that it is there. The capital is there. The concept and the competence was what Renick really, really prioritized and what he he essentially built from scratch. Um, in terms of, of concept, he was given complete control of transfer policy, complete control of tactics. He prioritized titles along with prioritizing player development that can generate concept for the uh, that can generate profit excuse me for the club which comes back to capital notice how all three things are starting to work together he prioritizes the signing of young players with the energy to keep up in that high energy gagan pressing system that he he picked up years and years ago but has been implementing in every single job since that that relentless pressure that swarming of the ball um you need young players with loads of energy who can effectively carry out that style. And so he brings in players like Emil Forsberg, Willy Orban, Nabi Keita, Timo Werner, Yusuf Poulsen, clubs like, like Salzburg uh, uh, dealing with, with the same, Sadio Mane, somebody of, of that mold. Um, players who, who can fit this style and who can, who can do that. I, like I said, these squads, when Ragnia came in, were aging. They were old. They weren't able to, to fulfill this style this relatively new style that Ranić wanted to use. And so he just burns it to the ground. He completely rebuilds Red Bull. We know how good Leipzig are now. They were Champions League semi-finalists two seasons ago. They're consistently in the top 400 in the Bundesliga. Um, they're a tough out in the Champions League. And that's largely thanks to, to Ranić's vision and what he was able to do as the director of football, which is why Manchester United fans should be so, so excited about this appointment. Another thing that he mentions that I really, really love that I want to bring up is the prioritization of club building over team building. It's not just about the players that you watch on the television every single day. And as a director of football and not a head coach, it's especially about not just those players that you see on the pitch every single day, every single time your club is, is playing on the television. There's so many people and roles and things that go on behind the scenes. And if you don't have, as Renyik says, specialized experts in all of those roles, then the on-pitch product will suffer. So he prioritizes club building over team building. And as a director of football, likely, maybe not that specific title, but a similar role that he will most likely inherit at, uh, at the end of his interim tenure at Manchester United, expect that to be what he does. Builds the club over building the team by setting in place long-term goals, long-term projects, young players who can come in and not only succeed right away, but also develop uh, at the time of recording. I just saw the, the Manchester United lineup for their Champions League match against Young Boys and Ahmad Diallo is in the team. Uh, that is a Ranić stamp. That is a Ranić player. Somebody who is young, can contribute now, but also will develop into a much better player in the future. That's who Ralph Ranić is looking for. So how does he play as a manager? There, there's a few staples of, of this Ranić system, and we've seen it vary from time to time, but there are some things that he really, really prioritizes. The first is that Gagan pressing, that winning the ball back as soon as it has been lost, whether it be for 8 seconds, 10 seconds, 12 seconds. The reason why is that's when the ball winner is most vulnerable to being dispossessed. They've just won the ball. 
Maybe they're on the ground. Maybe maybe the ball has taken a, a, a bit of a heavy touch. He's got to go chase it down. Maybe he just needs to, to figure out what his bearings are. That's when the ball winner is most vulnerable to being dispossessed. Countering the counter is what Gagan pressing is, getting high up the pitch, swarming the player who's just won the ball back for however long the coach dictates. And again, this varies from coach to coach. We can expect, I suppose, with Rennick to be between 8 to 10 seconds. That's kind of a sweet spot, it seems. Um, that's what he'll do it, it, with this United, is that, that Gagan press. And we're not going to see it right away. We haven't seen it right away. But that's what you can expect with Ralph Rennick. Belief in the system is paramount. And with the, the type of on-pitch freedom that Rennick had, he was able to build it exactly the way that he wanted at Leipzig. Of course, that may not be freedom that he gets at United because Leipzig were very much a project. United are about as close to the opposite as that can be. But regardless, he'll find players and he'll find people that can believe in his system. It's got a, a hell of a track record. It won't be difficult to get players to believe in his system. Just don't expect that freedom to be exactly what he got at Leipzig. But he should be fine. The transition game is paramount as well for for uh, Renyik. As I mentioned, that 8 to 10 seconds after the ball is won or lost, that's where matches are won and lost, according to Ralph Rangnick. That is where you can you can steal a match in the transition game. Those 8 to 10 seconds after the ball is won or lost, that's where matches are won. He calls it, quote, swarming behavior, that Gagan press, that, that aggressive, all-out, unrelenting press onto the man who's just won the ball, and then knowing when to back off so you don't get caught out of possession. He also, as I mentioned, does prefer those young players because they've got the pace and the energy to keep up with a system like that and to make it work, not just for 30 minutes, not just for 45 minutes, but for the full 90 minutes. Young players are, are crucial for that type of system to effectively work, especially in a league like the Premiership. So let's, let's what does this look like at Manchester United? Um, because, again, these are two clubs in wildly different scenarios. Leipzig, when Rennie took over in 2012, and United currently in 2021, are, are, are not the same. I mean, Leipzig were, were new, unheard of, and, and Rennie had the freedom to build it from scratch. United are, are certainly in a transitional period, but United, United will not need to be building anything from scratch. This is one of the biggest brands in the world, one of the biggest clubs on the planet, Many different people with their their with their with their hands in in the pot essentially. A lot of different people who get who get to make decisions. Now, Ranyig will be one of the most important voices in making those decisions, and it will be smart to give him the final say. And I think ultimately he will have the final say. But that uncontrolled freedom he got at Leipzig, it just will not be the same at Manchester United. There's too many hands in the pot for that to be a reality for Rangnick at a club like Manchester United in the Premier League. Um, on the pitch, what does it look like? Well, we saw it a little bit. United against Crystal Palace in the most recent match week. Um, he only had 45 minutes of pitch time, I've heard, uh, through through uh, reports that, that Rangnick had prior to this match with Crystal Palace. Only 45 minutes of pitch time on the practice field. Obviously, we're not going to see him be able to fully implement his philosophy yet, but some elements uh, truly were there. Uh, some things uh, that we saw with this version of United, a more coherent pressing structure, even with a player like Cristiano Ronaldo, um, uh, uh, that four triple two shape that we saw him use at RB Leipzig, the one with a four back and then two holding midfielders, 
two more advanced midfielders who can play in the half spaces in the channels, and then two strikers. We saw that with with uh, Bruno Fernandez and Jaden Sancho occupying that that middle row of two. Uh, they were the ones that were sitting in the half spaces. And by the way, expect that to continue. Expect that to be what their roles are. My biggest question for this United side heading into the match was what does he do with Cristiano Ronaldo? Because there were people, I forget who it was, um, but there were people who were arguing that Cristiano Ronaldo could be Ralph Ragnick's biggest issue simply because he he does not fit the mold of a traditional Ralph Ragnick striker. He doesn't really press. He, he isn't filled with energy like he was back in Real Madrid. He picks his moments. But he also can't be dropped. You, you can't drop a player like Cristiano Ronaldo out of the 11 for extended periods of time. So how does Ralph Ranić adjust? He either adjusts his tactics or he gets Cristiano Ronaldo to be a more press-heavy forward. And we did see bits of that, actually, uh, against Crystal Palace. Again, it wasn't perfect. It won't be on, on uh, day one of this new era. But we did see signs that maybe Cristiano Ronaldo can be adjusted somewhat to better fit this, what what this attacking two needs to do, which is press aggressively, have one who can who can be that pacey guy to get wide, get in behind, and have the other one who can hold up play. Um, Ronaldo doesn't really, well, he, he I guess to an extent he does both, but neither one is really what his game is specifically molded after. It'll be interesting to see how uh, how Ranić operates with this attacking two heading forward. Ronaldo will undoubtedly be in it. Don't uh, don't get that bit twisted. What does the United Eleven look like? Well, I've I've got uh, something written down, and it's it's somewhat the same as what we saw against Palace. David de Gea and goal. The wingbacks, the fullbacks, I suppose, is back four. The fullbacks are going to be interesting because Ranić likes at least against Palace. He he played with Alex Tellez, and he played an important role in the way that United built from the back. There was a fantastic video. Um, on the YouTube channel Football Made Simple that broke this down a bit better than I can. But United really, really attacked down the left flank with uh, with Alex Tellez, with players like Marcus Rashford, with Bruno Fernandes. I, it's difficult to call because Luke Shaw has been the left back in this team for so, so long. Obviously, his form has been up and down. Tellez was brought in as, as – uh, somebody who could fight with Shaw for that spot. So it was never completely out of the realm of possibility that Tellers could win the starting job, but Shaw was so good last year that it was never really a thought that we had. Maybe that does happen. Maybe Alex Tellers fits this running system a bit more. That'll be a fascinating positional battle to watch. Uh, center back duo of Maguire and Rafael Varane. Victor Lindelof may have a say in this, and, and uh, depending on what Rennick wants to do in the transfer window. Over on the right, you've got Aaron Wambisaka and Diogo Dalot. Same discussion, same argument that we have with the Tellers v. Shaw one. Can't make a call on it yet, but it will be fascinating to watch develop. That midfield, too. And, oh my gosh, we've been talking about McFred for so long. I'm shocked that we still talk about McFred because there just has been no movement on that front. That'll be the initial pivot uh, at the base of this triple two. We'll see McTominay and we'll see Fred and we'll see somebody come in in January. Better believe it. Then we'll likely see Bruno Fernandes and Jaden Sancho. And then we'll see, I would think, Cristiano Ronaldo and Marcus Rashford. Though don't sleep on two players. Mason Greenwood could play a valuable role as that pacier striker who gets him behind. And and uh, Edison Cavani could be the alternative to Ronaldo. Could be the the one who who kind of holds up play and, and uh, 
you know, sits sits in front of the defense and lets lets uh, Greenwood operate off of him. Some options in the attack, but expect to see that four triple two, maybe adjust to a four two three one, which you've seen Ranić use before. Um, some intriguing options for for Ranić with this United side, but also don't expect it to be the exact same eleven at the end of the January transfer window because that's one of the things that Ranić does best is recruit and bring in new players. Who could those players be? Let's discuss. So glad you asked. One name that really interests me is Timo Werner. Um, I'll, I'll come out and I'll, I'll just throw that one on, on the dartboard out of the way. I'll, I'll just push it aside as soon as we possibly can. Timo Werner obviously uh, earned his move to Chelsea based on how good he was under Ranić at, at RB Leipzig. Obviously extremely pacey, can play centrally, can play on the wing. Um, this should come as no surprise, but he perfectly fits a Ralph Rangnick system because he's played and thrived in a Ralph Rangnick system before. Maybe a little bit displaced at Chelsea with his poor form and also with the acquisition of, of Romelu Lukaku and the rumored acquisition of maybe a player like Erling Holland. Maybe Werner looks for a move in the summer. Maybe United is the place to go because I do think that in this 4 triple 2 with, uh, with Rangnick at United... We could see a much different team of Werner compared to the 3-4-3 that he's been playing in, or the 3-4-2-1 that he's been playing in under Thomas Tuchel. Um, another player that interests me, I'm not, I mean, I've got Erling Holland written down. That one's such a, a, a that's doesn't require much to understand that. But a player that that interests me in in this Red Bull ladder, maybe not a move for January or for for maybe even next summer, but a player who could be an enticing option down the line currently at, at RB Salzburg is Brendan Aronson, the American international, full of energy, plays as number 10, can play as part of an attacking three, um, obviously plays in that Red Bull ladder. Salzburg employ very similar uh, theories to, to those of, of Leipzig, so we know that he would work in a system like this one. Um, I think the issue is who does he displace? Are you, are you putting him at the base of that triple two? I think that's probably deeper than where you would want him, uh, but those also are the most volatile positions in this this triple two, the ones that will most easily be dispossessed are Scott McTominay and Fred. It's tough to find anybody in that front four who a player like Brandon Aronson could bump out right away. But that is a move that would intrigue me. He'd certainly fit the system. It's just a matter of where would you plug him in. Karim Adeyemi at Salzburg is another player who's already attracting interest from the biggest clubs in the world. A striker that that Werner-esque. He plays with Benjamin Cheska at, at Salzburg who, who fits that stronger, more more uh, hold-up play-based mold. Adeyemi is the one who who has the, the the freedom to roam, can get wide, can run in behind. Maybe that's a move for, for Manchester United. Uh, Mohamed Kamara, also at Salzburg, is an interesting player. And that's who I think, if you're going to bring in somebody to displace one of McTominay or Fred, and you want to stay home in this Red Bull ladder, expect uh, Ranić to recruit heavily from this Red Bull ladder. Maybe a player like Camera is where you go. I spoke about him a little bit earlier, I think episode two. He was my my highlighted young player. And he's somebody who could slide in to this United midfield relatively soon, believe it or not. He's receiving N'Golo Kante comparisons. Am I ready to buy into that yet? Well, probably not. But a uh, more defensive-minded midfielder, just a really all-around all quality player who can slide into one of those two places. Again, Red Bull product. We know that Ranić will be attracted to that. Um, if you go to Leipzig, Christopher Nkunku is a player who's looking for a way out, creative number 10, but can also play as part of an attacking two, can play a little bit deeper, can play wide. Um, Nkunku is a player who really 
and he's being linked with PSG. He's being linked with, I believe, clubs like Barcelona. He's being linked everywhere. A move to Manchester United could serve him well, could serve United well. Conrad Lamer uh, in midfield uh, is a player, a high-pressing high midfielder who could fit that Gagan pressing style that, that Ranić likes to use. So lots of players, all of which, is it, is it a coincidence that every player I listed is from the Red Bull Academy um, or currently in the Red Bull, Red Bull ladder? Uh, I would say no. I don't think it's a coincidence, mainly because when I thought of transfer targets, I looked exclusively at Red Bull products and players currently at Leipzig and Salzburg. But if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I mean, Ralph Reinick set into place, regardless of how you feel personally about Leipzig, he set into place one of the most impressive projects in modern football, this Red Bull ladder, this Leipzig, Salzburg, Bragantino um, Liefering as well is, is part of that that network. New York Red Bulls ha- have had some players plucked uh, over at MLS. So regardless of how you feel, and certainly there are valid emotions connected with Leipzig and how they, they cheated the system and how it's not... They're, they're the most hated club in the Bundesliga for a reason. Regardless of how you feel on that front, again, the objective truth is that Ralf Ranić put together one of the most impressive footballing projects in modern history with this full network. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. It definitely ain't broke. So why not go and bring players in who you know succeed in the system that you want to use? So long story short, uh, Reinick is is a brilliant mind, a a, a, a a tactical genius, a man who they literally call the professor and who has influenced so many of the world's best coaches today, Manchester United. You have gotten one of the best options on the market. It is on the interim. I, I, as of now, he's only the manager until the end of the season. Then he'll take a, a, a role higher up in the board, have his hand more, more director of football-esque. But regardless, uh, you've gotten a brilliant mind, and uh, you could have done a hell of a lot worse than, than Ralph Rangnick. I am, I am genuinely frightened as, as a supporter of a rival club in the Premier League. I'm genuinely frightened for what United can do after a few weeks of Ralph Ranić leading training and bringing in his players because Ranić's Leipzig and eventually Nagelsmann's Leipzig, which was still heavily influenced by Ranić, was one of the best teams in Germany. At a certain point, they were one of the best teams in Europe. There's no reason to believe that United, who have more resources and who have a bigger profile, stronger pull, can't reach higher heights than what Leipzig did with Ralf Rangnick involved in in their business. So, fantastic move. Objectively intrigued to see how this pans out. I think it'll pan out very well. And my God, upgrading from Ole Gunnar Sosar to Ralf Rangnick is like upgrading from a beaten up, worn down Toyota Camry to the finest Lamborghini that you can find. Um... What a job. What a job done by United to... to They sacked Ole two, two years too late. Maybe not two years. A few months too late. I think that was the general consensus. Better late than never. And they've rectified it, I think, with a brilliant move, bringing in Ralph Rangnick as the interim manager. Um, so that's that. Let's let's stick in the Premier League. And let's actually stick with the, the, the theme of new managers. What do you say while we're on it? Hey, why not? A couple new managers who we've seen a little bit of in the Premier League. Dean Smith, Steven Gerrard, Eddie Howe are the three that I want to sit down and discuss today. Because um, all three took their new jobs around the same time. 
Of course, Newcastle brought in Eddie Howe after sacking uh, Steve Bruce. Aston Villa brought in Steven Gerrard after sacking Dean Smith. And then Dean Smith went to Norwich after they sacked Daniel Farkas. So all three of these guys got their, their new jobs around the same time. I want to look at all three and try to assess uh, in terms of everything. Management style, the situation they're in, uh, who is, is best suited to maybe find success? Because these three guys, I think, are ones that will compare, maybe not thoroughly, because I I, I, well, I don't want to spoil anything, but when, when managers come in around the same time, it's difficult not to compare them to each other. And I think we're going to see that with these three, similar to what we might see with Antonio Conte and Ralph Ranić. But Smith, Gerard, Eddie Howe. Um, let, let's quickly discuss all three and then we'll rank them. If you disagree, please let me know. If you agree, also let me know. Um, because if, if you, if you agree and you don't let me know, then I'm only hearing from people that I disagree with. And then I think that I'm the idiot who is the only person on the planet with this opinion. So if you agree with me, be in my corner and let me know. Um, but let, let's kick things off with, with Newcastle. Cause I think this is the most intriguing on the surface, the most intriguing scenario, obviously, because of the takeover and Eddie Howe is the man who they've chosen to at least initially uh, lead the project. He did a fantastic job with Bournemouth. We know that. Taking them from League Two to a relatively consistent side in the Premier League. Of course, they were then relegated. But um, regardless, Eddie Howe's the job he did with Bournemouth was fantastic. He said he wants to bring, quote, a fresh attacking style to Newcastle. He's got the players to do it. He's got some really talented players in attack. Obviously, the first one you think of is Alan San Maximum, but you've also got a player in Callum Wilson, who he's worked with before, who's a central piece of those Bournemouth sides. Even Joel Linton, who's received his share of criticism, but uh, we've seen early early results under Eddie Howe. Maybe Joel Linton's a player who can thrive with, with the managerial change, with, with the, getting out of the uber-defensive style that Steve Bruce was just in bed with, apparently. Maybe Joel Linton is a player who can thrive or at least improve with a change of, of philosophy. They can create a really good front three, but also they can partner and create a, a solid attacking two with one coming off the bench or maybe one playing behind them as a number 10. You've got Joe Willock, who they brought in permanently from Arsenal, who who's provided some really valuable return both last season and at parts of this season. Exciting player. The problem with this team is I think they, they don't, fully have the players in defense to cope with an attacking first mindset. And that's not to say that they won't attack more because they already have. They already have been more attack minded. They've been more possession based. I just don't think this is a side that can look at players like San Maximin and Callum Wilson and prioritize them at the expense of the players they have in defense because the defense is not good enough to operate in an attack first system because attack minded systems, you're, you're playing a higher line your, your fullbacks are getting up the pitch. Your midfielders are, are trickling forward as well. And it's very easy if your defenders who are staying back are not good to, to get caught out. And I think we might see that with this Newcastle side if they choose to play that way. The good news is I don't think they will. I think it'll still be a defending first side. It, it, we're going to get rid of that five back for the love of God. Thank you for that. We'll switch to a four. Um, but we'll still see... The prioritization of defending, I think we'll see Sen Maximin and we'll see Callum Wilson um, get more than just the scraps they've been getting, hitting on counter moves, and that's really it. Um, we've seen Newcastle with some sustained possession in the attacking third under Eddie Howe so far, but I think we will see 
defense first. We know that Eddie Howe is a manager who adapts to what he has available. And with this squad of players, what he has available may be by keeping a defensive approach, defensive approach first. Still giving his attacking players more to work with, but still saying first and foremost, we'll defend, we'll limit opposition chances, and then we'll we'll look to hit. Um, another really intriguing pairing that I, I am excited to dive into is Steven Gerrard. Um, now at Aston Villa, of course, he he won the league with Rangers last season, and he's he's it was a brilliant spell that he had in uh, in the Scottish Premiership. Now he's in the Premier League, his first managing job in the Premier League. That Rangers side and this Villa side, they've got similarities. Now that they're, now that they're smitten images of each other, but they've got similarities. They're both strong in defense, relatively, with an attack that boasts a number of quality players who all need their share of output. And his Rangers sides did as well, which is why it is such an intriguing proposition because he got that Rangers attack to click. A lot of players who needed who needed to be fed, and they were all fed in route to winning the league. This Villa side, Emi Buendia, who we know is a quality player, but we haven't quite seen that yet with Aston Villa. Ollie Watkins, Danny Ings, Leon Bailey. They're still trying to figure out life post-Jack Grealish, which I think is something that we all maybe expected back in preseason was that this team would not hit the ground running right away. And they haven't, but we know that the players they've got in attack are ones that really, they're quality players. They just need somebody who can piece it together to figure out how to play an attack without everything running through one man. And that was Jack Grealish. Um, Specifically, the player that I want to zone in on is Emiliano Buendia because Steven Gerrard at Rangers had some really good wide players in Ryan Kent, who was very prolific off the left. Giannis Hadji was, was a quality player who, who could play on both sides. Both were, were really, really productive out wide. And that's predominantly where we've seen Emiliano Bundia. We've, we've seen him wide. We've seen him play as number 10. We've seen him really, I, I, I take that back. We've seen him play, play both roles. But um, in terms of, of, of responsibilities, we could see Buendia break out in a similar way. Talented player who hasn't been able to take the cap off of his potential yet. Uh, this Villa side likely won't dominate possession in the same way that those Rangers sides did, but still, quick players on the flanks who can make them dangerous on the counter, which we might see. We might see this Villa side sit a little bit deeper. That would prioritize their ability to win the ball back and hit quickly. They've got pace on the wings to do that. Um, and they've got a, a bit of versatility too. I think that that comes from players like Bundia, but also Ali Watkins, who can play centrally, who likely won't play centrally with the presence of Danny Yanks, but he can also play over on the left, play uh, in in theory, in practice, come a bit more centrally, and allow the left back in Matt Target to attack the pitch, which he loves to do, ranks highly in this Villa side in touches in the attacking third, ranks highly in this Villa side in passes into the penalty area. With, with Gerard at Villa, I, I'm really, really drawn to the 4-2-3-1. Buendia playing centrally, Watkins on the left, Bailey on the right, Danny Yings playing as that, that lone center forward. Um, Steven Gerrard at Rangers loved to press and to press high. Four attacking players would make that a bit easier as opposed to a 4-3-3 that we've also seen linked with with uh, with potentially what Gerrard would like to do with this Villa side. For whatever reason, I think that 4-2-3-1 would be a bit more attractive and might might provide a few more better dividends. I, there are so many times where I want to say something 
and uh, and I just the words are, don't come out correctly. So I apologize because that could have been phrased infinitely better. Um, I didn't, but I'm not going to go back and retape it because you all know what I meant. Uh, Gerard at Villa, exciting, exciting, lots of possibility, and as we'll get into a little bit later, maybe the the most quote long term solution of the three new hires. Let's discuss Dean Smith now because he he's. In a bit of a similar situation at Norwich, he's got some interesting attacking players. Uh, he just hasn't been able, or Daniel Farka, excuse me, Daniel Farka prior, wasn't able to piece it all together. Similar to Villa, lots of really good attacking players haven't found the answer. Players like Josh Sargent, Timu Puki, Adam Ida, Milot Rashidza, Todd Cantwell, Christos Solis. I mean, they've got players in attack who are, are with the exception of Timu Puki, all young, all with potential, but we don't really know what that best attack looks like yet. Daniel Farka wasn't able to figure it out. Maybe that's largely because they've, they've been sitting so deep and they've been resigned to playing for a nil-nil that there's no time or no reason to figure out what the best attack looks like, but they've got players and it just hasn't been pieced together yet. They've also got quality, some really quality young players as well on this team with the likes of Max Ahrens, who I feel like we've been discussing with this Norwich side for years and years. Again, players like Todd Cantwell, Christos Solis, um, players on loan like, like Billy Gilmore, center back Andrew Omobamidele. This is, it's a young squad, and it's it's neat because you look at this Norwich side and you th- you think, well, they're, they're worse than they were two years ago when they were one of the worst, statistically one of the worst Premier League sides in the history of the competition. But you also look at it as as it, it is a young squad. Maybe the smarter decision is to, and it feels so so weird to say because no no mindset should ever be this. Maybe you just resign yourself to to prioritizing those young players, sacrificing maybe some of your more skilled more skilled older players, but acknowledge that it's a long term process that requires. Uh, if you want to have that Premier League staying power, which Norwich don't at the moment, they're always so good in the championship and they get their, their butts kicked in the Premier League. If you want to build some of that Premier League staying power, maybe that comes through punting on some points this season, prioritizing youth development so you can A, have them play central roles for the next time you're in the Premier League, or B, sell them off for profit so you can go out and buy better players. I know it seems like such a, a simple theory, but but with this Norris side, maybe it's worth mentioning. Um, maybe, maybe that's the road for Dean Smith. My concern is, is Dean Smith the long-term solution at Norwich? I don't know if he is. This feels like like a, a Band-Aid on a bullet hole. Shout out to all my Morgan Wallen fans. This feels like, like, like a Band-Aid over something that would require surgery for now. It feels to me like Dean Smith will be the guy until the end of the Premier League season if Norwich get relegated. That's when they bring in a, a long-term manager who can who can kickstart that process that I was mentioning. Um, that being said, maybe there is a way to keep this Norris out of float, and it comes with piecing this attack together. The concern is that uh, why believe that Dean Smith can piece this attack together when he couldn't piece Aston Villa's attack together for the first three months of the season when they objectively have more skilled, better players uh, than this Norwich side does. So... Maybe that optimism shouldn't be there because Dean Smith is 0 for 1 in that situation this season. And this is a much tougher puzzle than that Aston Villa one was. Um, that might be how Norwich saves itself is, is is playing a bit more on the front foot, figuring out your best attack and and prioritizing that. But the defense isn't Premier League quality and it will just inherently require more focus. So I don't know what the way forward is for Dean Smith. 
Um, I think it would serve him well to 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 find that best attacking group, whether that is by starting a player like Josh Sargent over Timu Puki or, or or bringing in these younger players who haven't been getting the minutes that that some of the older ones have, but should be in terms of of, of bettering your side long term. I don't know what the answer is for 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 Dean Smith, um, just because this Norwich side is so devoid of ability and individual talent. Um, but the first step might be solidifying that attack, giving them consistent ways to play, and then <laughs> figuring out the rest. For the love of God, I don't know. I mean, I no like no no offense to to Norwich City because they've got some really good players. They've got they've got some talented players. Todd Canwell's been linked with the Premier League big six sides. Max Aaron's has been linked with Premier League big six sides. Um, Timu Puki starts for his international team. He he, he scored. He he. Uh, I don't know if he scored goals, but he was starting for Finland in the Euros. They've got individual players. For whatever reason, they just haven't been able to piece it together. And I think there's a real danger of this side not just getting relegated again, but being worse than than two years ago when they were already so so bad. So let's go ahead and rank them, and then we'll get out of here. What do you say, Steven Gerrard, um, Dean Smith, and Eddie Howe? I'm gonna put Dean Smith at the bottom just because for the reasons that we just laid out, it's it's not a good side. It, you're working with scraps if you're Dean Smith, and you're already punching upwards because you're sitting 20th and not really close to getting out of the relegation zone. The issue he's facing at Villa will be a similar one to the one he's facing at Norwich. How do you piece together this new look attack? There's just not enough quality in this team. Number two for me, well, I'll do number one because two gives away one anyway. Um, the move that I, I, I think will pay off the most long-term is... Not Eddie Howe at Newcastle, but Steven Gerrard at Aston Villa. I think he is the most long-term solution for a Villa side with loads of quality and exciting prospect of moving on from Jack Grealish. I know that that wound is still fresh, but it really is an exciting opportunity to find a new way to play with, without having to rely on one individual. That's what Villa had the chance to do. I think Steven Gerrard is the guy to figure that out and push them forward. He's got a clear style of play that players can buy into. I'm really, really excited by Steven Gerrard at Aston Villa, which means number two for me is Eddie Howe. Um, not that I hate this move. I I, I don't hate this move. I, I think it's the correct step. The biggest issue for me is, is Eddie Howe on borrowed time. When Newcastle was, was taken over, did they really have a board meeting and say, you know who we want? We're going to go out and we're going we're gonna to buy some of the best talent in the world. We have aspirations to win the Premier League in five or ten years. We want to be, we want to uh, push ourselves into the upper echelon of European football. And the guy that's going to take us there just got relegated with Bournemouth and is, is an Englishman named Eddie Howe. I don't think that's the conversation they had. I wonder if Eddie Howe is, is operating on borrowed time. I don't think he's a long-term solution at Newcastle, but he's got the players required, and he's got the mindset required, and he's got the tactics required to push Newcastle in the right direction. Alan San Maximin, Callum Wilson deserve to be in a system where their skills and abilities can be maximized. Eddie Howe grants them that. The only reason, one of the only reasons, why I haven't swapped Eddie Howe and Steven Gerrard, quite simply, is I think Steven Gerrard is a more long-term solution, and I don't know how long Eddie Howe will actually be at Newcastle once some of these more attractive managerial options free themselves up in the after the season in the summer window. So that's my ranking. Gerrard 1, Howe 2, Smith 3. Let me know if you agree. Let me know if you disagree. If you disagree, please go easy on me. Um, if you do agree, uh, go on and on for as long as you want. I, I will not get old of hearing that. Um, that'll do it. What a show. Wow. Uh, that'll do it for, for episode nine. Appreciate y'all tuning in, as per the usual. Um, 
And that was a quality episode. Wow. Uh, I really, really am fascinated by by all four managers that we, we've spoken about today. With Ralph Franick at Manchester United, Dean Smith, Stephen Gerrard, Eddie Howe. The Premier League managerial hot stove, the, the head coaching hot stove, is in full swing. Um, and we're going to start to see if these moves were the right ones or the wrong ones. Going to be thrilling. Um, I guess I'll go and do my, my personal plugs now. If you are new to this podcast, first of all, welcome. As I mentioned at the top, welcome. We are so happy to have you. We are forever indebted to your presence. You've listened to me ramble for 47 minutes now. Good for you. That's a, that's a big accomplishment. Not many people get that far um, in real life. On the podcast, I don't know. I can't see. But uh, if you listened through this entire episode and you enjoyed what you heard, please go ahead and follow a couple accounts on Twitter. The first one is Breaking the Lines at BTLVid, where you can find not just this podcast, but every single bit of content that we push out, whether it be some podcast episodes, because this is not the only podcast in our network, but also our stories, our articles, our tactical analyses. All of those can be found over on the uh, the Twitter page and the website as well. And those come far more frequently than this podcast does. Um, also, follow me on Twitter at WillFowler5. Every now and then, I don't know, I've got a couple of good tweets for you. Usually it's rambling. But sometimes, sometimes I get a good one. And those are the ones that you don't want to miss. So at WillFowler5. Go and follow me there on Twitter. Um, would uh, very much appreciate that if you go and follow both of those accounts. Also, as I mentioned, check out our website, www.breakingthelines.com. You can find all of our content, all of our articles, all of our podcast episodes over there. Um, And finally, if you enjoyed listening, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast, wherever you get your podcasts from, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, I don't know, one of those hinky-dink third-party websites that looks super sketch that takes hours to buffer. If that's the platform you prefer, so be it. More power to you. Just make sure that you subscribe if you're capable, if you're physically able. So um, that'll do it. Thank you again so much for tuning in to Episode 9 of the Tactics Room. I will see you all next week for Episode 10. Likely some Champions League discussion. The Champions League group stage is rounding out as we speak. Going to have plenty of storylines to chat about. You're not going to want to miss it. Hope we see you back. Once again, my name is Will Fowler. You've been listening to the Tactics Room Podcast presented by Breaking the Lines.